Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Crossview. I'm Pastor Holly. I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. Today, we're going to be wrapping up our series on life after Easter. Over the last few weeks, we have seen how the earliest Christians grew in discipleship, grew in following Jesus, and how we're called to do the same. We've seen how, uh, just like the first Christians, we are called to be bold and courageous, even in uncertain times. We are to be filled with the Holy Spirit, We are to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, and we are to love one another. And today we're going to see how how all of those directives culminate and, uh, and bring us to a critical shift in the way that we think. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 in verses 15 through 23. The book of Ephesians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus probably about 25 or 30 years after Jesus' resurrection. So the Christian church was still very young. Now, uh, it had experienced tremendous growth in that amount of time, and it was widespread and thriving. 30 years ended up being plenty of time to become established and to reach many, many people. But it was also plenty of time to, uh, to lose sight of the goal, to lose sight of the purpose to which uh, the church had been called. And Paul recognized that and, uh, and used this encouraging letter to draw the church's attention back to a clear focus on the redemptive purpose that God had for them. In the opening verses of Ephesians, Paul identifies the recipients of the letter as being part of the body of Christ, just as the original disciples and the earliest believers were. He reminded them that they were included in Christ when they heard the good news of Jesus, believed that good news, and then received the Holy Spirit. And that in the same way that the very earliest Jewish disciples belonged in Christ, To the praise of God's glory, Paul says, so too did the believers at Ephesus, who were mostly Gentiles and who had become disciples maybe more recently. They also belonged in Christ to the praise of Christ's glory. Paul here is being very inclusive. He's saying, yes, some of us are Jews and some are Gentiles. Some have belonged to the body of Christ for many years and some are newer to the faith but we have all heard the same good news. We all have been given the same Holy Spirit and we all share the same purpose through Jesus Christ. In other words, we're all in this together. And then Paul says, for this reason, because of this, because of our shared discipleship, our shared belonging in Christ, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all the saints. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers." Paul commends the believers here for two things, for their faith and for their love. Faith is their response to the gospel, their belief in the hope that they have in Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The early believers were confident in their hope in Jesus, and Paul commends them for that. They were also known as being a people of love. And this is the the love that Paul mentions here. It's the same kind of love that Pastor Kyle talked about last week. It's agape love. It's not a feeling, but an active doing love. 
Pastor Kyle described agape love as a love that is tough and resilient and long-suffering. And this is the kind of love that the early believers had for one another. So Paul points out that he is encouraged to hear of the believers' faith, their confident hope in Jesus, and their love, their active agape love for one another. The church was really, really good at loving one another. They took such good care of their own widows, their own sick, their own poor, that they were known for it by those who were not Christians. And there's no doubt that their love for one another was due to the working of the Holy Spirit among them. In fact, agape love is first on the list of the fruit of the Spirit, as we see in the book of Galatians. These believers had received the Holy Spirit, and that was evident in the way that they loved one another. It's one of the ways that they were different from the world around them. Of course, there were quite a few things that differentiated the Christians uh, in, in the first century from the world around them. And that started with the ministry of Jesus decades earlier. Jesus was different, and he called his followers to be different too. Jesus' teachings were radical and were countercultural, so much so that they put him at odds with the majority of the people around him. We know the story, right? The religious authorities became so fearful, so suspicious of Jesus' power that they had him put to death. Everything about Jesus was different, and that put him at odds with the surrounding culture. So it should be no surprise that his followers in the early church had a similar experience. They were different. Their beliefs were radical. The way that they worshiped was new. They stood out in ways that made those around them uh, view them sometimes with fear and suspicion. And in many cases, they even experienced severe persecution and death because of the ways they were different. They were in many ways at odds with the world around them. When the differences between groups of people are highlighted, it's really easy for those groups to kind of, kind of withdraw, kind of go into their own camps, to stick close to the people who are like them, right? That feels safer. That's certainly true today, just as, as it was true in the early church. The early believers were, were faithful in generously and joyfully extending love to one another and in holding fast to the hope that they had in Jesus. They saw themselves as aliens in a strange land, uh, waiting together for the day when they would be with Jesus again. They were strong in their faith, strong in their love for one another. The church was thriving. And at this point, Paul says, but there's more. Time to level up, church. It's time for a radical shift in the way that you think. So join me back now in the book of Ephesians in chapter 1. Paul shares with the believers how he prays for them. And in doing that, he gives them a new way of thinking that changes the trajectory of the church in ways that are still significant for us today. In verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe.
God calls us to hope. And the truth of that hope is that we are heirs to a glorious inheritance. As his children, adopted as his own, we have through him inherited faith and hope and love, all of these things through the person of Jesus Christ. Paul here is telling the believers, you are heirs. You're not strangers, you're not aliens in a foreign land, but you are heirs to the kingdom of God here and now. Doesn't that change the perspective? To go from thinking of ourselves as poor wayfaring strangers, as the song says, just keeping our heads down and struggling through this world, to seeing ourselves, as Paul describes here, as heirs to God's kingdom, living with the riches of his glorious inheritance right now, to understand that, that the promise of eternal life with God includes our life right now, lived in the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is empowering and freeing and life-giving. For the early believers, what this meant was that they were called to take the love that they so generously showed to one another and share it with the world around them, with the very people and the very culture that they had, had kind of shrunk away from Kingdom heirs don't shrink away. No, when you, when you have inherited the love of God, the only appropriate response is to run as fast as you can to share it with as many others as you possibly can. It is such a glorious inheritance. You won't be able to give it away fast enough. Because when you receive an inheritance from your father, and your father is love, it's impossible to run out of love. It's impossible to be too generous. Paul is calling the church to take the love that they are known for, the love that they so generously show to one another, and to extend it to the world around them. They were to shift their thinking from us versus them to all the world. Because once their hearts had been enlightened to really see the hope to which they had been called, then there was no need to wall themselves off. They were living as heirs in a world that was still ruled by God. Their job as heirs wasn't to gather with other heirs and to wait out this world. No, their job was to take the love that had been so freely given to them and extend it to the world around them, inviting everyone to join them in the inheritance of the kingdom of God. God's inheritance, his love, his grace, his forgiveness and goodness and life, it's meant for everyone. And as his heirs, we get the amazing honor of sharing it lavishly with others. And how do we do that? Through his incomparably great power for us who believe. That is also part of our inheritance. Read with me again uh, in Ephesians chapter 1 at the end of verse 19. We'll start there. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. 
Wow, Paul uses a lot of descriptors here. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. Those words, power, working, mighty, and strength, they're, they're virtually synonymous. Paul here is repeating himself for emphasis. It's like he's saying, God's power is so great that there just aren't adequate words to describe it. Words fail me, Paul is saying. I can't possibly overstate or exaggerate how great his power is. It's unimaginably great. Maybe you're familiar with the children's book, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, uh, No Good, Very Bad Day. It's such a descriptive title, I love it. It tells us that Alexander had such a bummer day that it can't even be described adequately with words. And that's kind of what Paul's doing here in trying to describe uh, God's power. It's so great that words really can't describe it. He does that again at the end of the same sentence as he describes uh, the scope of Christ's authority and reign. God used his indescribable power to raise Jesus from the dead and to seat Jesus at his right hand where Jesus reigns over every other power, physical and spiritual. Every rule, every authority, every power, every dominion, every title or name, both now, in this time, in this world, and forever. That is how great the reign of Jesus is, and we are his heirs. This is so important for us to remember, just as it was crucial for the early believers. Notice that Paul does not say that there are no other powers. He says that Jesus rules above all other powers. It's pretty clear that when we take a look around, uh, we live in a world where there are other powers at work. There is sin, there is corruption, there is sickness and pain and suffering. Paul's not saying that those things don't exist. What he's saying is that Jesus is greater and that because of Jesus' great power, we have hope. Hope in the midst of hardship, hope in sorrow, hope in suffering. The message to the early church is this, God loves you so much that he has adopted you as his children, called you to hope, and given you a glorious inheritance. Go and share it with all the world. Take that love that you have so generously been given and freely share it with one another. Give it away to everyone, to your fellow believers and to those who don't yet know the hope of Jesus. As people who have received an inheritance of hope through incomparably great power, how can our response be anything other than sharing it, sharing that inheritance with everyone? How do we share it? Through love. That's it. That's our one job, to love. Love God and love people. And as followers of Jesus who have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, we have all we need to love. Love is, after all, the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not something we conjure up. It's not something we feel. It's not a wage that we pay to someone who has earned it. It is the response, the grateful and humble response to the love that we have received. Our Father loves us so much. How can we do anything but share that love with those around us? The love that he has given us is a love that, that wants to see everyone included in his hope. 
Maybe you've seen the videos that circulate online uh, sometimes of children who have been given the opportunity to hear for the very first time with the assistance of medical technology. If you haven't, then after the service, just go Google baby hearing for the first time and I promise you will not regret it. These videos are so touching because uh, they show babies who have uh, severe hearing impairments being fitted with powerful hearing aids and being able to hear their parents' voice for the very first time. It's the most amazing thing to see these precious, beloved children who have lived with nothing but silence or, or perhaps with garbled noise suddenly hear for the first time their mom or dad gently speaking their name. Their responses are just beautiful. First, they, they kind of jump and look around in awe and wonder, and then you see enlightenment on their faces as they recognize for the first time the voice of their parent. They break out into these huge smiles and they start laughing and even crying with joy and with the overwhelming wonder of the experience. It is a delight to see. I dare you to watch it without laughing with joy yourself. There are so many precious, beloved people in our world who have never heard the voice of God, their father, calling their name. We who have now have the great privilege as adopted children and heirs of sharing his love in a tangible way to cut through the noise, to break through the silence, to clear the way for those beloved people to finally know the overwhelming joy of hearing their father speak their name. This is a part of our inheritance, this joy of joining God in his work, the joy of being part of the mission of love. Just like the early believers, we can have a tendency sometimes to kind of circle the wagons, to try and protect ourselves from the culture around us. Sometimes we're afraid that the church might be negatively influenced by corruption in our culture. And so we kind of tighten the circle to protect our way of doing things and we become very cautious about who we let in. But that's not how the kingdom of God works. As heirs to the kingdom of God, our job is to throw open the gates and invite everyone in. We don't have to worry about darkness creeping in. Darkness has no power on its own. Darkness cannot advance. When we see darkness growing, it's not because darkness is advancing. It's because light is receding. When we, the church, kind of draw into ourselves, when we try to block out the world and the culture around us, what we're doing is withholding light, desperately needed light from the people that God loves. As heirs to hope, that is a negligent and selfish response to the inheritance that we've been freely given. Our response is to be one of love, of generous, lavish, tough, resilient, long-suffering, agape love. We are not called to be protectors of the kingdom of God. God does not need us to protect him. Remember, he is a God of indescribably great power. We are his heirs, not his guards. When we mistakenly see our role as protective, we inevitably become defensive. We start to see people as threats. 
We draw lines in the sand and we choose sides and we split into factions. We certainly see this today in our world, don't we? There are so many divisions in our country and in our world, and it seems that we become more and more divided every day. Those things that divide us are real and they're powerful, and I'm not here to suggest that we should just ignore them. But I am here to say that our God is greater, that he reigns over every rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given. And as heirs to his great power, our lives and words and actions are to overflow with his love. Our response is to follow his example of love by laying down our lives, our own desires and our ambitions and our rights for the good of others. How can we, as heirs living in light, do that? How can we take the love that we have received from God, the love that we have for one another, and extend that to the world around us? How can we be part of helping others to hear the voice of God? As we head into this next week, let's be intentional about really seeing the world around us and looking for ways that we can turn our focus away from ourselves and onto others. Let's ask ourselves, what suffering can I help alleviate? What need can I meet? What encouragement can I give? What right or privilege or convenience can I lay down for the good of another? Let's remember that our inheritance is not for us only, but is meant to be multiplied by sharing it with the whole world. Let's shift our way of thinking from us against the world to us for the world. Let's make it our goal to do everything we can to help every single person know the joy of hearing their father's voice calling their name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this love that you have lavished upon us, that we would be called your children. Help us, Lord, to see that this love that you've given us is a love that you have for every person on this, on this earth. Help us to recognize the call that we have received, the call to hope to be your heirs, the inheritance of your glorious riches, and to know that that inheritance is meant for everyone. Help us, Lord, to turn our focus away from ourselves and, uh, and to put it on to loving one another, to love our fellow believers and to love everyone in the world around us. Help us not to be stingy with love, Lord, but to just overflow with the love that you have given to us. We want to see everyone around us come to hear and recognize your voice as their loving Father. What a privilege that is for us to have heard you calling our name. We want to see that for our neighbors as well, God. Help us not to get in the way. Lord, help us to see the needs around us, to see the, uh, the, the suffering around us, and to try to alleviate that as best we can so that others are uninhibited in hearing your voice. God, we want to see everyone come to know you just as you do. And we are excited to welcome more and more into your kingdom, to see your kingdom expand uh, as, as we continue to show love to our neighbors. Thank you, Father, for your great grace and your great mercy. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.